0: One of the first things which everybody should understand is that every creature in the universe that is in any way sensitive and in any manner of speaking conscious regards itself as a human being. That is to say uh, it knows and is aware of a hierarchy of beings above it the hierarchy of beings below it. If you take such a tiny creature as a fruit fly, which lives only a few days, it is aware of all sorts of weird little animals and objects and spores floating in the atmosphere, which we don't even notice unless we've got a microscope around. And very few people have, and it criticises them as being inferior animals and uh, all that sort of thing. Whereas human beings, Yo. the things that it doesn't Yo. comprehend, Yo. Uh, they're in, as much outside its uh, intellect as a quasar is outside ours. And we see these far-off objects floating in the heavens, and we have only the vaguest idea of what they may be. Actually, we may all be some kind of uh, uh, atoms within uh, the hair on somebody's nose uh, in another dimension. <laughs> and all these galaxies being the constituent elements. Who knows? But there is, I think, a fundamental principle that everybody must understand uh, in order to know what is the meaning of the Tao, or the Chinese sense of the course of nature, and that is the principle of relativity. It's absolutely fundamental to an understanding of Taoist philosophy, relativity. That is to say, that wherever you are, and whoever you are, and whatever you are, you're in the middle. You know, kick in the middle. That's the game. And you you, you see just in the same way as when you stand, say, on the deck of the ship, and you can see a horizon all around you to exactly the same distance. You're in the center of a circle because your senses extend a certain direction, in all directions, and therefore give you the impression of being in the middle. Now everything in the world feels like that and also it has its own kind which look natural to it. You see uh, spiders and uh, hydros and sea urchins and so on don't look very natural to us. We say well I wouldn't want to look like that but they say when they see us uh, well what kind of an awful thing is that and what a lot of nonsense it does. See, if your dog watches you when you're typewriting... <laughs> your dog looks at you as, as, as human beings, especially cats. Dogs the dogs have tried to catch on to human beings in a sort of a funny way. But cats look at you and think you're out of your mind. You're absolutely crazy. What do you sit there all day for feverishly pecking away at a typewriter set, or doing something busy like that, when you could sit and curl up and... Uh, and purr? you just the cat from the cat's point of view you don't understand what life is about at all but all cats and cat companies cats in cat companies they feel that they are people because the definition of a person is where you look from and of course that is the meaning of the very interesting buddhist idea You can only become a Buddha. That is to say, you can only become enlightened, liberated, aware of your unity with the universe from the human position. And Buddhism calls itself the middle way because it is the way for someone in the middle, and that's everyone. So there is, believe it or not, a a form of uh, yoga, Ways of liberation for worms, for fruit flies, for snails, for spiders, for birds, for everything. And they, you see, in their situation, feel just as cultured as we can possibly feel. And they have their distinctions and their snobberies, just in the same way that we do. Because, you see, they do, they dig all sorts of things that we don't even notice. Uh, We think a person is cultured because they play the piano, or the violin, or they read poetry. They have a lot of big library, and they have paintings all around, and they have a fancy house, and so on. We say, well, there's a person of culture, and we can see at once uh, that this is really some rather elegant human being. But when you get down into the world of fishes, they have exactly the same thing, only instead of depending on collecting a lot of books and things like that it is the precise way the very subtle wiggles of the tail the little tremors of vibration that makes one fish a very superior fish as compared with other fish and all the other fish look at that one and say oh why to be like that what a genius to be able to do just that little extra thing see because they're very sensitive even airplanes in formation can't begin to do what birds and fish can do in, in their communal uh, swirling dances that they do. Now, uh, let me just interject something here that is rather important. Biological existence is such that you have to kill to live. And vegetarians have no way out because uh, plants also are forms of life and to the degree that they are aware and they are aware to a certain degree they think they're human and when you chew up plants you are making a very painful experience for cabbages and carrots and things like that and you can't get out of it and the only possible solution of the dilemma that we are in ethically that we have to eat in order to to live that being is killing The only possible solution to this dilemma is to reverence food and to cook it as well as possible and enjoy it to the full. There is no other ethical response that is in any way possible to this situation. And also, you must as a human being remember that you aren't the only pebble on the beach, that you belong just as much as the fish and the cows and uh, the apples you belong to a mutual eating society and something in the end is going to eat you now human beings are not as a rule eaten by large creatures we've got rid of them things like lions and tigers that chew up on human beings there are not many of them around we're eaten instead by tiny creatures and the, the morticians are a very vicious group of people because they are trying to deprive all those microorganisms of the proper human food when they bury them in uh, formaldehyde and encase them in concrete uh, things with complicated bronze caskets where instead of giving the worms a ball they just do nothing they just rot there you know and become slowly more and more uh, sort of attenuated and parchment like instead of continuing into the flow of the course of life which is the proper thing to do to make an act of respect to the earth from which you have gained all these uh, life and give yourself back to it when you die after all that's only courteous and this keeps the thing thing running so uh, we should start a campaign at once to (laughs) abolish whole mortician business and uh, put it in an entirely new line where dead human beings are buried in great fields about three feet underground which are left for a long time until all stinks and everything have vanished and this is the most beautiful soil for growing corn and lettuce and artichokes and vines and everything beautiful. So you go back into the cycle. But now Here is a very strange thing. That every creature, therefore, which feels that it is human, and which knows that it's there in the same way as you know you're here, experiences being here as constituting a sort of blockage. Now, practically, there are very few human beings that don't feel this, and I'm sure there are very few creatures that don't feel it in some way too. The sensation of a certain tension, which constitutes the feeling of i of their of being here. Because after all, every creature is a particular form. Everything is individual, not only you as a total organism standing here, but all the component cells of your body. Each one of them has some sort of a feeling of its own, and it, it is individual. You can look at a microscope at the right level of magnification, and you can see that thing there with its own little life. And if you examine the stream of your blood, you'll find it full of all kinds of organisms that are... Uh, having all sorts of conspiracies and games and plots and eating each other and doing these things that like we do. Only, uh, we, we realize that we wouldn't be healthy as a total organism unless there were all these wars and fights and plots and politics going on between the various cells in our blood. But from their point of view, you see, they feel, uh, a little bit put out because they're being organized. And we're in the same situation because uh, very slowly the human beings on the surface of the planet are realizing themselves into a total planetary organism with an electronic nervous system. You see, in science fiction, which was published round about the 1920s, it was always expected that future human beings would have enormous heads because they would have very big brains and they would be very wise. It didn't work that way. What happens is that the human race is building a brain outside its body. That is to say, an interlocking electronic network of telephonic uh, television, radionic communication, which is rapidly being interlocked with computers so that you will, within a few years, be able to plug your own brain into a computer. You will have a little gadget here behind the ear slightly like a hearing aid. And that will be inter- integrated with your brain in such a way that you can plug in right here. That will only be an intermediate stage uh, because just in the same way as when we thought that all communications by electricity had to go through wires, And then we got rid of the wires and got radio and television. So in exactly the same way, we will eventually get rid of telephones and radio and television and we'll communicate uh, by some entirely new method which is at present called ESP. But that will mean that absolutely nobody has a private life anymore. Everybody will read automatically everybody else's thoughts. You won't be able to defend, you will have no defenses. (coughs) Everybody else will see right through you. And some people will protest and say, well, it's terrible, there's no privacy anymore. That means there's no me. Well, that's what's happened to your own cells and your own neurons. And they objected that sometime in the course of evolution, we're getting our private life taken away, we're being organized into a body. And we're doing the same thing. Only we uh, got to try and see if we can be clever about it. And that is to say, to do two things at once. To have this tremendous openness to each other, whereby I don't care if you read my thoughts, and you don't care if I read yours, but at the same time, nevertheless, each one of us retains a peculiar individuality. Almost in the same way, as nothing could be more unlike a stomach than a heart. And nothing could be more unlike a kidney, than a pituitary gland And nothing could be more unlike intestines than a rib cage. You see, there's a lot of differentiation inside the body. Uh, despite the fact that it is a completely um, uh, an organism functioning altogether. So then the problem though, uh, as I said, is that for each individual, which is outlined, which is a separate thing, uh, or rather I would, instead of using the word separate, I would like to use the word distinct. Separate as I use the word means disjointed, cut off from. Distinct means a feature of something. Uh, where a, an absolutely distinguishable pattern is part of a larger pattern of a whole. So something can be distinct without being separate in just the same way <coughs> as back and front can be very different and yet inseparable. So then, there is then this... this sensation of a practically every living being, of <coughs> constituting a center of tension and of resistance. That is to say, of being a little bit blocked, or shall I say, of being in the way, being in one's own way. Imagine the opposite. Let us suppose, for example, That you got up in the morning with a feeling of total transparency. There's no resistance in your organism to the external world. You just float through it. You're part of it. It's part of you. And just in the same way, for example, that when you see, if you see well, you aren't aware of your eyes. But if there's something wrong with your eyes, and you see spots in front of you then you are looking at your eyes, and your eyes are getting in your own way. So the Taoist sage, Zhuangzi, says that when clothes fit well, you are not aware of them. When your girdle or belt fits properly, you are not aware of it. Good shoes, you are unconscious of and so in exactly the same way, the perfect form of man is unaware of himself, because he doesn't get in his own way. He is thus, in this sense, completely transparent. Now, you were thinking, I'm trying to sell you a bill of goods, that I'm going to teach you some technique so that you can feel perfectly transparent and that this is the proper way to feel, this is the way you ought to feel. Now, it's not that simple. <laughs> Point is, uh, to begin with, If you do, in a really rather natural way, feel alone, and feel uh, a little bit vulnerable, that uh, you've got a soft skin, and you've got a weak heart, and you've got, uh, you know, all those ills that the human body is heir to, going on inside you. Let's begin with that. Let's begin with uh, the way in which we do in fact constitute a sort of block in the middle of things, and that fact we hurt a bit, and through hurting a bit we know we're here. The people go very often to extreme measures to know that they're there. I was in Mexico two years ago, and I trying to find out what was really behind all the blood and gore in Mexican Catholicism. Uh, why they love uh, these pictures of Christ that is sold in the little shops where he's green and his face is contorted with horror, with blood pouring down in a crown of thorns with the longest, spikiest thorns you ever saw all sticking in and these crucifixes where they have carefully modeled sores on them and all that kind of thing and then at Guadalupe uh, these girls kneeling walking for a mile right down the avenue to the altar in that thing. What is it all about? Why, the answer is quite simple. If you hurt, you know you're there. And uh, this is part of the whole meaning of penances and uh, all sorts of trials that people go through and all kinds of adventures and all sorts of very, very difficult uh, massage experiences and so on, is that as a result of this, it becomes quite apparent that you do truly exist. You are there. You are a a kind of... uh, an obstacle to the flow of life. And as life impinges upon you, wham! you, you reb- rebound and you hurt a bit and so you, you, you are there <laughs> now then although people cultivate this they say in general they rather it would be not that way we'd like to forget ourselves and so ever so many people say well I want something to lose myself in I want something to belong to. I want to join a religion where I can sort of feel that I take part. I mean something. Or I go to the movies to forget myself. I read a mystery story to forget myself. I get drunk to forget myself. Because the peculiar quality of the drug called alcohol is that it turns you off. It uh, makes you increasingly insensitive to pain and to being so on, so that you can get a certain vague sense, a rather misty sense of floating. When Gurdjieff had a boy, he was training, uh, he was making him waste table one evening, and he suddenly, before dinner, filled him with an enormous amount of, vo- of vodka. And the boy went around all evening in this sort of floating state, and Gurdjieff said to him afterwards, now listen. When you can feel like that naturally all the time, you've learned my business. (laughs) But here it is. So uh, as things stand, one ordinarily doesn't feel that way and therefore takes alcohol or something in order to disappear, in order to feel less this sensation of uh, resisting the world. Do you know, uh, if you study your body and its dynamics, you will find that you are fighting all the time. Most people are, some are, but most people are fighting the external world all the time. My friend Charlotte Selva often tries an experiment where she makes a person lie down on the floor and says to them, now look, the floor is solid and it will hold you up. You don't have to do anything to stay where you are. Just lie on the floor. Then she looks at the person, or may touch them slightly, and say, do you realize you are making all sorts of efforts to hold yourself together? Because you are basically afraid that if you don't do that, you will just go, and disappear into a kind of formless goo all over the floor. But but you won't, you see? Your skin, uh, your bones, your muscle tonus and everything is all there naturally, and it will hold you together. There's nothing to worry about and all you have to do is lie on the floor. and You don't have to make any special efforts to stay together. But, but very many people are afraid that they will fall apart or somehow disintegrate if they don't make efforts to hold themselves together or else that they will be disintegrated by some outside agency if they're not constantly on the alert like this. They're all around, you see, to protect themselves. Now, I'm not a preacher, that's the most important thing to understand about me. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but I'm inviting you to become immensely aware of the fact that if you do that at all, that you do it. And that you have therefore this sense of being alone, of being a particular separate form that is unlike any other form on earth, that's just you concentrate on that. After all, are, for many people, they define this as their problem. So you ought to be able to feel it without the slightest difficulty. This is the driver asking you to feel some transcendental sensation or something of that kind. This is just a very ordinary sense of being you and being alone. Now, As you focus on that sensation of distinctness, we'll even call this one separateness, because we do, we have been brought up to feel separate, we have been brought up to feel actually disjoined from the external world, although that is pure mythology and doesn't exist at all. Uh, You're as much part of the external world as a whirlpool is part of a stream we're brought up not to notice that, but if you've been brought up that way and you don't notice that you're as much part of the world as the whirlpool is of a you feel this intense separation, the thing to do with all feelings that you don't like is to experience them as deeply as possible and go into the inmost depths of loneliness. And indeed, let us say, the inmost depth of selfishness. Are you selfish? You know, lots of people try to pretend they aren't. And they uh, say, well, I try not to be, but I guess I don't succeed all the time. And so, uh, Krishnamurti, you know, is a very devil because he always roots it out. He shows all the people who are very good and have the highest ideals and uh, who are doing everything that they are really doing it for the most the same sort of motivation as other people are robbing banks <laughs> and only they're giving it a name so as to conceal it better see that's like culture culture is a way of more cleverly concealing the fact that you have to eat be like the queen of spain who <laughs> in the days of uh, the 1860s came on with these enormous skirts and floated into the room and uh, you know was sort of coming on like she was an angel and somebody when they were first invented gave her a present of beautiful silk stockings a dozen pairs and sent them to the queen and her majesty's chamberlain replied with a letter returning the stockings and saying her Majesty the Queen of Spain does not have legs. <laughs> you see, it's like, look, on no legs. <laughs> I managed to float along just the same because I'm an angel. So you see, the, the, the way in which all kinds of high culture are subtle ways of concealing. And pretending that we do without the things that the lower classes, whether of humans or of animals, do. See? We pretend that we don't. It's like you don't go around crudely taking a bull and banging it on the head with a mallet or sticking a knife through it and tearing it apart and eating it. All that's done somewhere off in the stockyard. And it comes to us in the butcher's shop as a completely neutral looking thing called a steak. A steak has absolutely nothing to do with a cow. The steak is something wrapped up, packaged, like that, and they're all t down like that. And nobody where they pick up a steak and test it thinks, poor cow, it doesn't look like a cow. It doesn't remind you of one in any way. So that's culture. But you see, however much you mask it under lofty ideals, I mean, the the most religious people in the world, the greatest saints, are the veriest rascals. I've known lots of them. And I must tell you in confidence, I've known a lot of clergymen. And the filthiest stories I have ever heard in my life were told me by clergymen. (laughs) So, uh, in Hebrew theology, incidentally, that there is a thing called the Yetzahara. And in the beginning of time, when God created Adam, he implanted in him the Yetzahara. And the Yetzahara means the wayward spirit. He put something funny in man so that man would be a little odd. And it was a result of the Yetzahara that Adam was tempted by Eve who was tempted by the serpent to eat that famous fruit. And but the Hebrew believes that everything that God created is good, including the Yetzirah. Because if it hadn't been for the Yetzirah, there would have nothing ever happened everybody would have obeyed God and God would have said, well, this is kind of a bore. <laughs> so, now, but you see, you can't, you can't just get up to someone and say, disobey me. Because if they do, they're obeying you. See, that's a double bind. Say to somebody, disobey me. But God was much more subtle than that. He didn't tell Adam to disobey he told him to obey but subtly he put this Yatsuhara thing in like that so that God would say well I'm not responsible Well, this thing's going to happen on its own because what everybody wants is something to happen on its own and everybody wants it because you see the sensation of being you this curious lonely center of awkward sensitivity subject to the most peculiar feelings pains and anxieties and all that sort of thing. all that is an essential prerequisite for feeling something else these two experiences go together if you want in other words if you want to be omnipotent you want to live in a universe where nothing happens except what you, exactly what you will to happen in other words you say I would like to be God if you think that's the way God is and everything is therefore totally under my control everything is absolutely transparent to my intelligence I have no problems a lot of people coming on like they think they've attained this state well that's a lot of bunk <laughs> nobody wants to be in that position because there wouldn't be anything to it. Because once everything is under your central control, well, just nothing is happening. It's a ball from beginning to end. So what any one or any being whatsoever who has a sense of centrality, who has a sense of selfhood, who has a sense of identity, that sense of identity is inseparable from something else going on that is defined as not being me, as not being under my control, and that may jump at any time. It might even eat me. (laughs) So, what I want you first of all to understand is that these two sensations, one of being the lonely, central, sensitive, vulnerable self, living in the midst of a world that feels other that is not under your control I want to try and show you that these two sensations are really one sensation or rather two aspects of one sensation you couldn't have the one experience without the other experience now this is a rather good thing to know because it means that you won't panic if you discover this people who suffer from chronic anxiety uh, are always in doubt you see, about this relationship between what I feel as myself and what I feel as something else let's suppose you are anxious about your relationship with other people you walk into a room like this restaurant here, and you sit down at dinner, and some stranger opposite to you. You know nothing about the stranger, and you begin. Uh, maybe you feel a little reluctant to open conversation. You don't know what kind of a whether this person is going to be sane, or some kind of a crackpot, or some kind of a awful stuffy square, or you don't know what it is. So you start fencing around a little. But you get the feeling, you see, of, uh, and now, I better watch myself, because I do, after all, want to make a good impression, I don't want to make an enemy. So you watch yourself, and, uh, this is the funny thing Then begins called self-consciousness. And people say, sort of, <laughs> to each other, in you know, <laughs> usual way, in which strangers come on. And also there, are, there, there, there is involved in this encounter, the secret games that people are playing all the time to defend themselves by putting other people down. This is really a very wicked game, but uh, every, you see, every, every living being, if the truth be told, is a manifestation of everything that there is. Now, what is what we call God in the old-fashioned language? Every human being is. And every one, I, as I look around, I can see uh, every one of you as the, the, the divine being coming at me in a different way. Uh, crazy. <laughs> but the thing is that what we do is to try and prevent people from realizing that this is so. By pointing out to them in the most subtle ways their limitations. And seeing if we can phase them. Uh, Put a person off a little bit, make them uncertain, make them unsteady. It's like all sorts of games you can play where if a person wavers, he loses. But people play that with each other all the time. And the reason they do it is not the reason they think. It is that the gay, if everybody were perfectly clear that they were a manifestation of the divine being, nothing very much would happen. But so as to keep everybody a little bit unclear about it, the whole thing uh, bugs itself. (laughs) And, 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 And creates these little doubts. So what we're beginning with is these little doubts, you see? These sensations of of blockage, of uh, not being very sure of yourself, but knowing very much indeed that you are yourself, and that uh, you're alone, and it's all up to you. The terrible feeling of responsibility. So, but uh, what I'm trying to point out to you is if you intensify that feeling, and bring it to its highest pitch, you will immediately realize that you are aware of it only by virtue of the entire sensation of something else. Something defined as not you. So the feeling of not you and the feeling of you are relative. They go together and you can't have the one without the other. And if you can't have the one without the other, that means there's a secret conspiracy between the two. They are really the same, but pretending to be different. Because the whole idea is if there wasn't a difference, you wouldn't know anything was happening.
1: I mean, if it was all the same, it's like that song of Bob Dylan, which says um, something like,
0: well, I'm just like a guy like you. I'm just like anybody else. No use me talking to you. Because you're just like me (laughs) (laughs) So, you uh, know, the whole point is then if everybody else was all were the same and all shared the same ideas exactly and so on, there'd be no, nothing to talk about, because everybody would be a bore,
1: There'd be just yourself
0: echoing back you see. You'd feel like a madman in the Hall of Mirrors. Where everything you I'm went just, was just yourself, I you know, it. It. just you. Well,
1: but uh,
0: you may think that I'm speaking in favor of some kind of um, schizoid pluralistic universe. No, the whole point is this that difference and, and every kind of variety of differentiation is the way through which unity is discovered. I mean, this business about vivre la petite différence is very important. And the fact that men and women, for example, as a primordial kind of difference, never can really understand each other is tremendously exciting. Uh, because that, that, that's a way by which something happens. If it makes a difference, then it's there. If it doesn't make a difference, it doesn't matter. And what doesn't matter doesn't exist, because it has no matter. So, however, it is, wherever you notice a difference, the difference has two sides, what it is and what it's not. And these two sides, uh, since you can't have the one side without the other side, they're really one. Because they go together, inseparably. So when you get this extreme sense of your own existence, as a rather painful fact in the middle of everything else, the everything else feeling and the you feeling are two poles of one and the same process so that the real you is what lies as it were between these poles and includes both of them now this is the fundamental principle of the whole way in which ancient chinese thought developed the philosophy of the yang and the yin this is one of the oldest ideas in the universe I mean no, that's a rather too big language on this planet and the the philosophy uh, which I shall have occasion to speak of a little bit more later of the book of changes yi jing is based entirely on this that the universe is the interplay of difference and the primordial difference is between up and down back and front black and white is and isn't male and female positive and negative so the word yang in Chinese means uh, or refers to the south side of a mountain which is the sunny side the word Yin refers to the north side of the mountain, which is the shady side. Did you ever see a south-sided mountain only with no north side? Or in uh, it may also, Yang may refer to the north bank of a river, which gets the sun, and Yin to the south bank of the river, which gets the shade. And so uh, you will uh, remember this And one half, of course, is colored, dark. As it were, two fishes interlocked. And they are chasing each other. They actually form, you see more complicated symbols, in which they form a helix. This is a helix. And the spiral nebulae are shaped this way, in the form of a helix. And this is the position of man and woman making love, fundamentally. Where I'm trying to get inside you, and you're trying to get inside me, and we're trying to get into the middle of each other, but there's somehow or other a difference, and we can never quite get there. Just like uh, if I want to see the back of my head, I can go round and round, and I can chase it, but I never quite catch up with it. But that's what makes everything work. Uh, It is said in the Vedanta Sutras that uh, the Lord, the supreme knower of all things, who is the knower in all of us, doesn't know itself in the same way that fire doesn't burn itself and a knife doesn't cut itself. So nothing to God even, you see, would be more mysterious than God. Do you know somehow how you surprise yourself, for example, when you feel your own pulse and you suddenly feel this life going on, which you're not willing, or there are all sorts of ways in which you can say you have the belly rumbles, Mm. and uh, you didn't intend to have the belly rumbles, and suddenly it happened, or you had hiccups, and now are you having hiccups or not? Is this something you're doing? Or is it merely something that's happening to you as if it was raining and the rain was happening to you? This is a very debatable question. Consider breathing. Are you breathing or is it breathing you? Well, you can feel it either way. You can decide to breathe and uh, feel that you're breathing in just the same way that you walk when you want to. On the other hand, when you forget about breathing altogether, it still goes on, boy, and so it seems to be fence, something that happens.
1: I don't know it is. That's how it Which is it? Do you grow your hair,
0: or does your hair just sky, grow by I itself? Music? <laughs> I ain't what enables you to make a decision? How it is, you do. What you when you decide, do you first decide to decide, or do you just decide? Now how do you do that? Nobody knows, you see? When Zhuangzi uh,
1: tells the story
0: that one philosopher asked another, how can one get the Tao, which is the power of nature, so as to have it for one's own? And uh, the other philosopher answers, your life is not your own. It is the delegated adaptability of Tao. Your offspring are not your own. They are the outputs of Tao. You move, you know not how. You are at rest, you know not why. These are the operations of Tao. So how could you have it for your own? It's a funny thing. We can experience ourselves. Through and through as something that just happens. Look, look at it this way if you feel your body, your skin, the solidity of you, and if you regard what marvelous eyes you have, which are the power which generate light and color out of all these electrical quanta in the external world. And these ears, these beautiful shells that you wear on the side of your head, with their little spiral bones that come cochlear inside, you know, all that. But you feel, though, no, you don't feel responsible for do you? you don't know how it's made, if it is made. But it's you! That's what you are, that extraordinary power, beautiful, gorgeous, um, wonderful arabesque of tubes and bones and carbonate, and myriads of interconnecting electronics and the nervous systems and everything wonderful see. But the point is, most people don't own this, they don't say this is me, they say, well, it's some kind of very clever machine which the Lord God made out of his infinite wisdom and put me in it. <clears throat> and this is a very limited view. Because the extraordinary thing is that this is you. This extraordinary, marvelous going on. But you can feel it, all of it, as if it was just happening to you. But if you want to feel it that way, then you've got to go the whole way. And you've got to feel that your decisions just happen to you. And that the thing that you call yourself to which things happen is just something that happens. See? You don't know how you manage to be an ego, how you happen to be conscious. That just happened too. So happenings happen to a happening so you can feel yourself completely irresponsible like that see there's nowhere or uh, when you get that way that's a very interesting road to run but you can try the other way you can extend it and say now look here if 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 I really am my eyes and I, although I don't understand them I mean let's I say I can't describe it in lines in words uh this is me. Extraordinary thing, but it is. But well, I don't understand how it happens. But then, you see, that's the whole point. As I made a little while ago, that the very Lord God himself doesn't understand how he happens. Because if he did, what would be the point? There'd be no mystery. There'd be no possibility of surprise. That's why there has to be Yang and Yin. Yang is bright and it understands everything. Yin is dark and damned if she'll be understood. (laughs) But there are two phases of the same being. So your Yang side is your conscious attention and all the bright things you know and all the information you have and all the know-how and that you know what to do. And your Yin side is the other side of the Yang which enables the Yang to function. But if you don't know why the Yang side of you functions, that is the conscious, bright, intelligent side of you, it all depends on something you don't understand at all. Because if it didn't, it wouldn't be there. Just like you wouldn't be here unless there was something else. So they move together. And therefore, if you will accept the idea, you are your own eyes, and your own heart, and your own ears, with that wonderful little spiral cochlea inside, and all these amazing gadgets here. You're all that, But you don't think anything about it, but you are it. Now therefore, by a little extension of the imagination, you can very well see, that if all those bones and subtleties inside you feel other than your conscious ego, but nevertheless are one with it. The same argument will go for all the other things going on around you. The sun shining, the stars twinkling, the wind blowing, and the great ocean restlessly pounding against these cliffs. That's you too. You don't control it, of all, because there has to be something about you you don't control or you wouldn't I see that, all, all that is a lesson elementary in relativity. Relativity, I've talked about it in this way, which is kind of unscholarly and so on, but uh, I, I wanted to get the message across, the idea across because to understand the principle of relativity is the absolute foundation of the philosophy of the Tao. Lao Tzu takes it up in his second chapter when he says, when all the world understands beauty to be beautiful, there is already a When all the world understands goodness to be good, there is already evil. Thus, to be and not to be arise mutually high and low are positive mutually. Long and short are compared mutually. He goes through a whole list of opposites and show how they create each other. It's like uh, that wonderful little parable. The Chinese character for man looks more or less like an upturned for and Lafcadio Hearn, in one of his books, tells a story of a Japanese girl telling her little sister the meaning of the character for man by taking two sticks of wood and balancing them together on the ground with two sticks of firewood so that they form the upturn B. And she says to her little sister, This is the character for man. Because neither stick will stand up unless it has the other to help so, you know, we, we must dig each other. Uh, but the profounder meaning underneath this is there's no self without other. And no man, and don't forget, get back to the original point. Every creature in the world feels it's a man. I don't mean a male, but a human. And that is because it is in this situation where the thing it feels as itself, as its separate identity, is supported by the equal and opposite sensation of other. Center, periphery. Here, there, now, then, is, isn't, or whatever. These two are the yang and the yin, the two poles that hold each other up So the Zen poem says, when misfortune comes, treat it as a blessing. When fortune comes, treat it as a disaster.